Greetings and salutations out there, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is time for another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. I am always your humble yet glorious host, the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting, and of course, the fastest man at Outlander Media, Michael Shibley. Of course, I'm going to back that up in a little bit. My goodness, another huge show. We're going to dive right into it right off the bat. It just finished right before I started recording this. The Women's World Cup, the United States moving on to the finals in their quest for their fourth World Cup as the United States defeats England 2-1. to one. You had two goals from Kristen Press and Alex Morgan in the first half, which was the difference. England was able to get one to equalize it. Uh, Kristen Press had a goal at the 10-minute mark, and then uh, England got a goal in the 19th minute. Alex Morgan with the header in the 31st minute to put us up, and that was the difference as it was just back and forth in the second half, but no goals were scored. No Megan Rapino in the lineup. It reports go that she has a bad hamstring. We'll see what happens there, of course, as we go to the finals, because Megan Rapino, up until today, had been the only goal scorer for the United States in the knockout round. She had the two penalty kicks against Spain, and then she had the two goals against France. So, of course, Donald Trump's favorite player, Megan Rapino, is out there, and she was out for this game. We'll see if she's back for the final. But what an effort as a team by the United States. A hats off, a big hats off, of course, to Alyssa Nair in goal for the United States. She had some criticism going into the World Cup. People were worried she had been behind Hope Solo last year or in the last World Cup, and people were wondering if she was going to be able to be on that same level as Hope Solo had been for all of these years. She proved her medal in this one. She had a big save in the first half, but then on a penalty kick in the 80th minute, she had a huge save because England was going to, with that penalty kick, it would have tied the game up. It would have been equalized and maybe even going into extra time, but instead she comes through with a huge save and the United States moving on to the final. So hats off to Alyssa Nair, having her, as uh, as the uh, coach Jill Ellis said, her one shining moment in this one. So a great moment there. It's exciting. The, the pressure and everything's mounting, the enthusiasm. It's great to see these women. Are they too cocky? They might be, but they're winning. They're taking that role well in this Women's World Cup as they are the number one team in the country, in the world, rather, and they have beaten the number four team in the host nation in France, and they've beaten the three team in England. So, again, this is just big for them. My hat's off to the women. Uh, and, again, Alex Morgan with the game-winning goal in the first half. A happy 30th birthday to her. Scoring a goal in the birthday. I think she's the first ever in FIFA Women's World Cup history to score a goal on her birthday. So that is really cool to see. And you got to feel for England. In 2015, they were in the semifinals in that World Cup against Japan. And they had a tough break with an own goal that was the deciding difference in that one. So that was a tough break. Meanwhile, this year, they had just a tough 19-minute stretch in the second half. They had what they thought was their first opportunity at an equalizer. They had a goal, but it was overturned by VAR, the video-assisted referee, which was 
White was offside, barely offsides, but they got the call right. She was offside. You can argue with it, but I think she was offside. Then, of course, they had the penalty kick, which I don't know if that was a foul to begin with. You can, again, that is up for deliberation. Of course, I have a little bias because I'm a U.S. fan, obviously, but because it looked like she was fouled on the backswing of her kick or she was hit. I don't know. It was... Anyway, but uh, Nair, of course, was able to make the save, so they weren't able to equalize there. And then, a big mistake by Bright, one of the English midfielders, getting the uh, the foul, and that was her second yellow card, which got her a red card and got her out. So England had to play out the stretch with uh, down to 10 players, which, again, when you're already behind and trying to catch up, that's just not going to be good for you. So, But again, hats off. To the U.S. women, again, they are on the Tour de Four, trying for their fourth Women's World Cup, which should be exciting. Looking forward to that. They're playing the final on Sunday. Uh, Coverage starts at 10 a.m., but it's going to be, uh, the game starts at 11 a.m. on Fox. It's going to be in Lyon, France. Who are they going to play? We're going to find that out tomorrow, where the Netherlands and Sweden are going at it. Uh, The Netherlands beat Italy to get here into the semifinals, Sweden knocking off Germany, the which Germany looked like they were going to have, obviously they thought they were going to have the easier road into the finals because, again, the U.S. has had to defeat both uh, France and England to get here to the final. Germany was not having uh, the top teams in the world on their side of the knockout round bracket, but Sweden getting two big goals and was able to hold off Germany in that one. So again, we'll see what happens here. Of course, the United States did beat Sweden already in this World Cup, but that was in group stage and both teams had already advanced out of group already when they met. So we'll see how this all shapes out again. I, personally as a Tennessee fan, would love it to be the Netherlands just because the U.S., I would assume, maybe would wear white and the Netherlands would wear their orange, so you'd have orange and white there in the finals of the World Cup, which is, right now, it seems like, especially judging by Tennessee football, the closest any Tennessee team might come to a championship anytime soon. We'll see how that shapes up, but hey, it would be kind of a cool visual for Tennessee fans, at least there, so we'll see. Of course, we will talk all about what happens in the finals of the Women's World Cup here on the Modern Day Gladiator podcast. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley, or of course, on social media, on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Day Gladiators. You can give us a like and a follow. And of course, I'll give you the daily updates and just speak my mind about what's going on in the world of sports. So stay tuned to that. Meanwhile, also in the world of soccer, we do have to move over to the men's side. They are competing in the Gold Cup. They did, of course, get the win over Trinidad and Tobago, which we talked about. They beat Curacao in the quarterfinals, 1-0, which I figured they would have scored more. They have not allowed a goal so far in this Gold Cup. We'll see. They are playing Jamaica in the semifinals of the Gold Cup uh, tomorrow as of this recording, so Wednesday at 9 o'clock on Fox, so check that out, see if the men can move on to the final, where they'll most likely play Mexico. Mexico and Haiti are playing tonight on this recording on Tuesday. I'm I'm just, I have a very strong feeling it's not going to be Haiti. Who knows? I could be shocked. We could see what happens. I don't see that happening, so we'll see where all of that goes. So that's your soccer talk here in the beginning of Modern Day Gladiators. Let's move, of course, here to the United States with free agency frenzy happening in 
the world of the National Basketball Association. NBA free agency has gone crazy already. Of course, everything kicked off with the trade with the Pelicans trading Anthony Davis over to the Lakers to join LeBron James. And that's kind of kicked some of these things off. Of course, the biggest news is the fact that Kevin Durant no longer with the Warriors. He was a free agent. He and Kyrie Irving uh, leaving the Celtics, Kevin Durant leaving the Warriors. They are headed to New York, but they're not headed to the Knicks. They're going across the river to Brooklyn to play for the Brooklyn Nets. Of course, Kevin Durant with that torn Achilles is probably going to be out for at least this next season. But still, uh, the Nets looking much better, obviously, than they did Uh, going in. They did make the playoffs this last season, but they were out in the first round by the 76ers. James Dolan, the owner of the Knicks. Again, I I have mentioned this before. You, have you ever been in that, you've been in relationships and and you've had a lot, there's people, we've all been there where you're doing a bunch of different things and you keep almost trying the same thing over and over, but you keep ruining relationships or having issues at work or maybe not getting the jobs you're wanting. Eventually, you have to look in the mirror and say, maybe it's me. Because guess what, James Dolan? It's you. I don't. I think that a lot of the reason that Durant and Irving didn't want to go there is because you're the guy heading it up and have made bonehead decisions for decades. You look at it record-wise, the Knicks have the worst record the past 18 years in the NBA. So, and you shouldn't have that. You have all the resources. You have Madison Square Garden as your home court. You are in New York. You have all of the history going there, and yet they've not been able to string anything together. And really, it's Dolan. It's the guy at the head. Maybe they'll get lucky. Maybe R.J. Barrett will turn into a Hall of Fame player, and he can be the linchpin of the Knicks, and they can build to the draft. But that is looking not what's going to happen. We'll see what happens there. But again, so much of their failure to attract any big free agents to the Knicks, it's all on James Dolan's head. So we'll see there. Of course, the biggest uh, domino yet to fall is Kawhi Leonard. There has been nothing as of we recording this uh, Tuesday evening this week. We haven't heard anything yet. We'll see what happens. Of course, any breaking news, we will talk about it on one of the daily updates on Modern Day Gladiators. But looks like Toronto is looking to offer him a max contract, uh, which would give him uh, a few. It's weird talking about a few million dollars, but more he'd get more money staying in Toronto and be able to play there for an extra year on that contract compared to going anywhere else. But again, he's been one of the enigmas with deciding what he wants to do. He did just win a title with Toronto, but I think it would be great for basketball if he stays in Toronto. I think, again, keeping them at a championship level would be amazing for, I think, the NBA as a whole. Some of the other big moves, of course, Jimmy Butler going to the Heat from the 76ers in a sign-and-trade. D'Angelo Russell is going from the Brooklyn Nets to the Warriors. Klay Thompson is staying with the Warriors, so you got some big things there. I still think the Warriors are going to be a threat. I don't think they're a championship contender. We'll see, of course, how the season shapes up. But again, I still see the Warriors making it to the playoffs and at least uh, winning a round or two there, at least from this point. Really cool if you are a Tennessee fan and looking for an NBA team to root for. Uh, of course, you can go for any of the teams that picked uh, you know, uh, Bone and Williams and Schofield. You can go for any of those guys with the Celtics, the Pistons, and the um, 
the Celtics, the Pistons, I'll get the other team off the top of my head, the, the Wizards uh, with Admiral Schofield, or you can root for the 76ers as well. Tobias Harris has re-signed with them, and also in that sign and trade with Jimmy Butler from the Heat. Also, Josh Richardson is moving to the 76ers. So you got two Tennessee guys who are going to see a lot of minutes and score a lot of points for the 76ers, also with Ben Simmons there. So that should be an interesting group there in Philadelphia. Meanwhile, Kemba Walker is going from the Hornets to the Celtics. We'll see how all of this shapes up. Uh, One of the big things also when you look at the NBA, there has been discussions that the NBA too is looking at having fewer games on the schedule. That has been an issue that is coming up. Of course, we'll see what happens when the collective bargaining agreement comes, but Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, has pretty much said he knows where the ratings are having an issue. And, I mean, a lot of us have been saying this for a long time, that I think 82 is far too many games. The starters are not playing all of those games. There's a lot of workload uh, sitting out type of things. So they're thinking of maybe lowering it to 72 games. Also looking to maybe add an in-season cup, like a lot of times they do in, in European soccer, where they've got like the FA Cup and things like that, where right in the middle of the season, they have a tournament, also maybe a play-in game for the playoffs, which I think would be big and keep some of these teams from tanking as much. At least there's some ideas where they're trying to fix the ratings. I do think this could be one of the most competitive seasons in the NBA. You've got, again, if Kawhi stays in Toronto, I think that could be very huge for the NBA. The East has been more spread out. Also, the fact that now the Warriors have been broken up with Kevin Durant not there anymore. You have, of course, the Lakers with LeBron and Anthony Davis, and maybe they can get another max player. They have enough cap space to get another max contract, so we'll see what happens in Los Angeles. But uh, the Denver Nuggets are looking to make another run. The Portland Trailblazers are still there. The Rockets still have all of their big pieces. So we'll see. This could be a much more competitive and much more interesting NBA season uh, going in to the 2019-2020 calendar year for the NBA. That's going to wrap up this first half of Modern Day Gladiators with some of the lead stories going around the world. Of course, I do have to thank Joe Shirt for being a sponsor of the uh, Outlander Media Network. We've got to thank Joe Shirt. They've got some great merchandise, some great comfortable shirts that they've provided for us. We've got more uh, Outlander Media and all the podcasts and everything that we've got, including DLC Respawn and Haffle and Deadbeat Radio and Night Terrors, all of these great things, the Phantasm Podcast, they're all going to have merchandise. We're going to have some here with Modern Day Gladiators. They're great, comfortable shirts. If you go to joeshirt.com, they can work with you as well with talking about helping your business with helping expand your brand, including t-shirts and mugs and banners. They've got great prices. Shipping, if you're here in the local Knoxville area, they've got great rates there as well. So check them out. Again, joeshirt.com. They've been doing this for over 30 years, which again is a quality company. They know what they're doing. And hey, they're signing on with us, which they've got to have faith in us because I've got faith in us. So that's just going to be awesome. Thank you again, Joe Shirt, for sponsoring the Outlander Media Network. We're going to take a quick break but we are back with everything else going on in the world of sports. Can't wait to talk about it. And of course, my response to the challenge of a foot race in the Outland Media group. We'll talk about that at the end. Shibbles and Bits coming up after the break here on the Modern Day Gladiators podcast. (laughs) 
Ah, yes, you hear the music. You know it's time for Shibbles and Bits here on the Modern Day Gladiators podcast, and we're starting with baseball. It's almost time for the Midsummer Classic. The All-Star Game is coming up July 9th. The All-Star starters were announced this past week. The Astros lead with three. Alex Bregman was the runaway winner at third base in the American League, and he's going to be joined in the starting lineup by Astros teammates George Springer and Michael Brantley. Brantley edged out uh, New York Yankees Aaron Judge by less than one percentage point for the final American League outfield spot. Of course, Mike Trout, he was the leading vote-getter. He is the best player, in my opinion, in baseball right now. He led all candidates with almost a million votes in the final stage. And again, the whole game, it's going to be the All-Star game, is going to be in Cleveland on July 9th. Your starters in the American League started. At catcher, you've got Gary Sanchez. First base, Carlos Santana. DJ LeMahieu from the Yankees. Santana with the Indians. Sanchez with the Yankees at catcher. At shortstop, you've got Jorge Polanco from the Twins, Alex Bregman at third base with the Astros, Mike Trout, the Angels, and then, of course, you've got Springer and Brantley with the Astros and the outfielders. Your designated hitter is Hunter Pence for the Texas Rangers. Over in the National League, at catcher, you've got Wilson Contreras from the Cubs, Freddie Freeman with the Braves, Kittle Marte with the Diamondbacks at second base, Javier Baez with the Cubs at short, Nolan Arnado with the Rockies. Christian Yelich, who is having a great season. He's got 30 home runs already. I think he's the first one since Albert Pujols a few seasons ago to have at least 30 home runs before the All-Star break. Uh, Cody Bellinger also in the outfield for the Dodgers and Ronald Acuna Jr. for the Braves. So that's going to be some great starters there. Always looking forward to the Midsummer Classic, the All-Star Game. Always a fun watch there. Also, some other news as we've talked about netting here at Major League Baseball. Plenty. This should be some disturbing news for anybody as well. The two-year-old girl who was struck by that foul ball back at Minute Maid Park in Houston on May 29th, her parents came out and said she'd suffered a skull fracture, had a seizure, and also she had a subdural bleeding, brain contusions, brain edema, and an abnormal uh, electroangioplasm, I think. I apologize, I'm not a medical person. My mother, the nurse, would probably be able to pronounce that a lot better than I could. She is on medication to prevent further seizures. So again, you just hear that, let alone the fact that I've already talked about all the other people who have been hurt and even died because of foul balls over the past few seasons. And again, the argument, I'm going to beat it into the ground, but I'm going to keep saying it until Major League Baseball hears me. Put up nets all the way to the foul line, all the way to the foul pole on both sides. It shouldn't be that hard. You've already got the Nationals, the White Sox, the Dodgers, and other teams are starting to do it. They have You have an all-star break. And again, you have millions of dollars to be able to do it. And yes, there's already, again, the, uh, the polls have already shown 78% of uh, Major League Baseball fans want more netting up. It's tough to get 78% of any population to agree on anything in this country. And you've got this. Put the damn nets up. End of argument at this point. On to some better baseball news. In college baseball, Vanderbilt, and again, as a Tennessee fan, not a big fan of Vanderbilt in pretty much anything, but you got to have hats off to them defeating Michigan 8-2 in Game 3 to win the College World Series. And again, what just an amazing one. Their backs were up against the wall in Game 2. It's a best-of-three series, and you had, again, they went to... 
uh, Kumar Rocker again. Their backs were up against the wall. They lost game one against Duke in the Super Regionals. They lost game one to Michigan here in the finals of the College World Series. And Kumar Rocker went out again. He struck out 11 while pitching six and a half innings of three-hit baseball. And finally, they won 4-1 to one in Game 2. And then, of course, they won 8-2 to two in Game 3 to win the College World Series. Just, again, an amazing thing. Rocker, he was 12-5 and five on the year. He pitched a no-hitter against Duke again. We talked about that uh, a few weeks ago in the Super Regionals. And it was just amazing. That was, what, a 19-strikeout no-hitter which was just amazing to see. And again, Kumar Rocker was so dominant. He was selected the most outstanding player. It is the second national championship in baseball for Vanderbilt, which is great. And then they had a wonderful moment as well because during the postgame celebration, Vandy players invited Teddy and Susan Everett to join them on the stage set up around home plate. Uh, the Everett's, their son, Donnie Everett, was a star freshman pitcher on the 2016 Vanderbilt team. And he unfortunately drowned before the start of that year's NCAA tournament. So the seniors on the squad were teammates. It was just amazing to see. It's just great what Vanderbilt has been able to do there with SEC baseball being as just dominant as it has been. You've got, of course, LSU and Mississippi State, Ole Miss. These guys are perennial power. South Carolina, you know, Florida and Tennessee have spent multiple times at the College World Series as well. So... Again, and hats off to Michigan for what they were able to do. I think the last time they even made the College World Series was when Barry Larkin, the Hall of Famer for the Reds, played at Michigan. So it's been a long time for them, and congratulations to them. Their pitching staff was great. I think throughout the entire College World Series, they only relied on their three starters for starting. So I think that's kind of what cost them at the end. I think their arms were finally shot, and Vanderbilt was able to get to them. But again, still a wonderful thing to see, and congratulations to Vanderbilt, the Commodores, getting the win and bringing yet another national championship to the SEC. Speaking of college, this is an interesting story, and I'm anxious to see what happens here in the next couple of weeks as these stories start to develop. The first one was California is set to vote any day now. The California State Assembly is it's Senate Bill 206. It's named the Fair Pay to Play Act. And what this would do is it would allow California collegiate athletes to earn comp- compensation for their own uh, likeness, which, again, is something I have been harking on a long time here on this podcast and the other iterations of it, that college athletes, again, you don't have to directly pay them, but they should be allowed to make money off their own likeness. I've said it many times. You want to have someone have a signing an autograph signing, your soccer player have a signing at a bowling alley and pay them to be there. That should be available. Or you have the guy who hits the game-winning shot to send your team to the Final Four, and he has that game-worn jersey on, and he should have the right to sell it to somebody who wants to give them money for that. I have believed that for a long time because, again, anybody else in college, whether they're on a scholarship or not, is allowed to apply that trade. I was a broadcasting student. If I had a podcast like this and had sponsorships and they were paying me money while I'm still on scholarship, I can still do that. I can use the talent and still be in college. So I've always been big with this. But what is happening right now is NCAA President Mark Emmert has been lobbying the uh, California State Assembly and the committees involved to postpone the bill because, again, they're not wanting this at all at this point. The NCAA 
they announced, this was a few months ago, they set up a, a working group that will assess the potential of allowing players to profit off their likeness. Because right now, again, it's an NCAA violation to pay them anything. And he's threatened, essentially, if California does pass this, that all of the schools and colleges in California will be ineligible for NCAA championships, where, honestly, if California leads this way, and they've led the way with a lot of different other legislation and a lot of different things in the political world, if you look at what California wants to do, but again, largest population, they have a huge economy, all of these things, and they can say, okay, well, we're just going to break away from you, NCAA, have our own championships. And you're going to get a lot of the best players coming there because they can make money off their own likeness. So, and then you could have other colleges from the Pac-12 say, well, we're going to join you in that and have our own. And then you could have, it it wouldn't surprise me if things like this pass and wheels are in motion that the NCAA could almost dissolve over things like this. And you could have all the Power 5 conferences form their own league at that point with different rules and different things, which could be a benefit again yes they are going to school for free some of them are trust me not all scholarships are alike in college athletics you only get partial scholarships in a lot of these things and i you could talk about this to blue in the face but again you should be able to make money off your own likeness that's my belief i will talk about that until the cows come home another thing that should be concerning for the ncaa is a survey that came out over the last week 19 percent of college athletic trainers in this recent survey uh, said that a coach played an athlete who had been deemed medically out of participation um which again should be very alarming for people this was a survey done by the national athletic trainers association And, again, such actions put athletes at a major risk. Basically, what they're saying is your star quarterback is in concussion protocol, and he probably shouldn't play, and a doctor has said he probably shouldn't. The coach has said, no, he's playing. And, again, this is where this interesting balance comes because a lot of these trainers, they're employed by the athletic department. So you have this weird thing that goes on with a lot of this. Survey findings coincide with a a spate of recent high-profile incidents where athletes have either died or suffered serious injuries or complications during workouts. Of course, the biggest one was the heat stroke death of Maryland football player Jordan McNair. So that's one of the ones you need to look at. Also, according to the survey, 36% of respondents reported that a coach who had uh, been able to influence the hiring and firing of sports medicine staff and of athletic trainers who reported that happening. 58% then reported being pressured by a coach or administrator to make a decision not in the best interest of a student-athlete's health, which, again, is something that almost ties in to these athletes and being paid. You've got in professional sports in this country, or in any country, they're being paid to play a game. Yes, they're getting a scholarship to have that education, But, again, these schools, especially the big ones, are making billions of dollars as a whole off of guys who aren't getting paid any considerable dollar amount. And so your star quarterback, you might need him because, again, that coach, first of all, he's probably the highest paid state employee that you have at your university. I know the college football coach, Jeremy Pruitt, is the highest paid state employee that we have in Tennessee, So you have that influence, plus the fact that his job could be on the line. I mean, you've got a 
so your star quarterback is iffy to go, and you probably need him to win a game at the end of the season that might save your job, you might want to play him and tell your guy, hey, you better play him or I'm going to fire you. So, again, that is a just... That's it, it's not fully a conflict of interest, but it bothers me almost from a Hippocratic Oath type of way that these things kind of go with do no harm and things like that. The University of Kansas, I love what they've done. They're leading the way with this. Their medical staff does not report to the athletic department. They are not employed by the athletic department. They uh, report through the University of Kansas health system. So a coach can't come in and be upset that something has happened and fire a doctor for not clearing the player. He can't do that. The university does that. So I think that is a much safer way to do these things. We'll see how all of this, of course, goes throughout things. But a survey like that where even you have stuff where you talk about 19% said that coaches have put a guy in who shouldn't be playing. That should still be alarming where these things are. And those are the ones that were reported in this survey. That's not even all of them. So, again, that should be something we should all be a little on alert about. Some other good news, though, out in the world. We talk about Tennessee here. Kara Lawson, I've loved Kara Lawson for a long time. She was a great player at Tennessee, a great point guard. Uh, She has, of course, been a great commentator for women's athletics on ESPN and doing play-by-play. She's also been a television analyst for the Washington Wizards. But now she has been hired as a... She's also an Olympic champion, which was amazing. A gold medalist there. But Kara Lawson is now being hired by the Boston Celtics as an assistant coach, which is amazing. And I think just great for her. She's joining another slew. There's been more women in assistant coaching in the NBA. And Kara Lawson has a great mind for the sport. And I, I just wish her all the best. I could see her and you know Becky Hammond and some of these other uh, women in assistant coaching roles, moving into a head coaching role at some point in the NBA. So, again, that's great. She made three trips to the Final Four, of course, under legendary head coach Pat Summit. 12 seasons as a point guard in the NBA. So, again, I'm excited about it. And, again, she won a gold medal at the Beijing Games in the 2008 Olympics. So, rooting for Carol Lawson in everything. Hopefully, her and uh, Grant Williams can wave the big orange flag there in Boston with Rocky Top. So one of the other things that's, uh, and another big news that's come out, you talk about Americans doing good things overseas in Europe. Hats off to American uh, 15-year-old Corey Goff, I believe I got her name uh, correctly. She's the first woman, uh, the youngest woman since uh, uh, you know uh, Jennifer Capriotti at 15 years old to win a match at Wimbledon, which was amazing. And she did it by beating one of her idols, Venus Williams, in the first round of Wimbledon, which was just amazing to see. Venus Williams, the oldest woman in the competition at 39 years, and of course, uh, Corey Goff was 15 years old. She beat her 6-4, 6-4 in straight uh, sets. This was only her third ever tour-level match, and she went out and beat one of her idols. Uh, Venus has over 1,000 uh, tour-level matches again, this will be amazing to watch. We'll see if she's able to advance farther than that. She was the youngest ever qualifier for Wimbledon, which was amazing to see. And again, uh, we'll see what's happening with women's tennis, which has been, again, far more competitive than the men's side has been, with the same almost three people winning all the time. At least the women has been a little bit of a change of pace lately. But one of the other big champions, Naomi Osaka, of course, who won the U.S. Open and Australian Open over the last 
a uh, couple of majors. She's out. She was defeated uh, in straight sets, 7-6-6-2, by Yulia uh, Purinsteva of Russia. So again, we'll see. Wimbledon, the fortnight there, the All England Club just getting underway. And of course, we'll talk more about that here on later episodes of Modern Day Gladiators. But let me get into this real quick. Uh, I, put out, I put out this challenge. Those of you who listen to this podcast, I've talked about this before, where I've made a great claim that I am the fastest person on the Outlander Media Network crew, and I intend to back that up. I made the challenge, of course, to everybody else. We've seen it on Facebook and Twitter. I've called them out, and it looks like one of the men uh, from the Halfle podcast has accepted, and that is one Trey Pack, or Trey Sweetness, but I don't have diabetes pack. Um, I am willing and ready to go. You name the time, you name the place. Yes, you did play a high-level uh, high school football, and I congratulate you for that. And yes, you might have 11 years on me in age, and the last competitive race I ran was probably in the ninth grade. But I'm still quick, and I know I'm quick. And you put me on a track, you put me on a football field, any type of surface you want, Trey, I will beat you, and it won't be pretty. I am ready for it, and anytime, anywhere, you book it, we'll film it for YouTube, we'll do however we want to do it with the Outlander Media Network. As The Rock says, just bring it, and I'll bring it, and I will beat you bad. It will not be pretty. And that's going to wrap up Shibbles and Bits. Thank you guys for listening there. Let's move over into the world of professional wrestling, everything going on in the squared circle. Let's talk about, of course, matches that have happened over the weekend. AEW had their second big major show of their young uh, life, and they was at Fighter Fest, which, again, is a... Uh, you have it with the CEO Gaming. You have a fighting game tournament. They had a wrestling card that went along with it. Some of the highlights, of course, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega dressed as Street Fighters, which was just amazing to see. And then they defeated the Lucha Bros and Kid Laredo in a six-man tag. The main event was the unsanctioned match between John Moxley and Joey Janela, which, again, was just an amazing... If you've seen any of the hardcore matches... And some of the ECW matches, it was right in that vein with thumbtacks and barbed wire. Uh, so that was a little nuts. But uh, John Moxley getting the win, and then of course Kenny Omega reciprocating the attack that John Moxley gave to Omega back at uh, Double or Nothing. So Kenny Omega's out there. We're looking for that's going to be a great fight at All Out happening in August. Uh, Cody Rhodes. He had a draw with Darby Allen, which was, again, a great one. It's great to see time limit draws happening where it raises one guy up and doesn't hurt the other guy. That was amazing to see. But the biggest controversy about that match was Sean Spears, the former Ty Dillinger, the the perfect 10 in the WWE, came out and hit Cody Rhodes with a chair. And it was an unblocked chair shot to the head. And as someone who watched the Royal Rumble I Quit match between The Rock and Mankind, and then, of course, what it has done and did to Chris Benoit and all those different things, I just don't want to see unblocked chair shots to the head anymore. I, I don't need to see things like that in my wrestling anymore. Yes, it's fine with the impact, but he had, it, it hit him in the side and the back of the head. He had 10 staples put in the back of his head, Cody did, at the end of that. It was, again, just... It was brutal, and you, I personally just don't need to see things like that in the world of wrestling. I just don't want these guys in their later life to have their brains scrambled because of shots like that uh, to the head. That's just my view. We'll see where all of this goes with AEW. I know they're trying to be different, 
than the WWE, and that's fine. There's still other ways to do it than, again, uh, share shots to the head, not being one of them. You had Shima defeating Christopher Daniels. Shima and uh, Kenny Omega are going to go one-on-one at Fight for the Fallen in two weeks. That should be amazing to see. Uh, You also had uh, Adam Page defeating MJF, Jimmy Havoc, and Jungle Boy in a uh, four-way match, which was fun to see. And again, what was great about this was that AEW had this event streaming for free on BR Live. So again, anybody could see it if you just sign up for BR Live, which is free to do. It was amazing, and it was great to give you, again, something different. Was it as high quality of wrestling as it was at Double or Nothing? In my opinion, no. But again, it was still a really solid show top to bottom. It was interesting. The commentators made you move along with the match and everything. It felt natural. And it set up things for other shows later down the line, which you didn't need 20-minute promos to do. So we'll see with that. Again, it is a different creative, uh, creatively. It's fun to see. I'm excited to see where AEW is going with this, and I'm all aboard with them. Meanwhile, Raw and SmackDown have had some big moves as well, as it looks like there has been some changes made where Paul Heyman, who used to run ECW, and Eric Bischoff, who used to run WCW, have been brought in to respectively work on Raw and SmackDown. Paul Heyman's going to be on Raw, Eric Bischoff is going to be on SmackDown, as it looks like the creative directors. We'll see how much Vince is still involved in that. We have not seen it. We got a first little taste of it on Raw Uh, Last night, as watching it, and again, you had some things. You had uh, Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley. They went, uh, ran, like, speared through the video board, and there was explosions and different things. You didn't open, you opened with that match. You didn't have a 20-minute interview. Yes, there's still some annoying things with Baron Corbin and Shane McMahon and stuff where you need to just tie up those loose ends. Hopefully those loose ends get tied up by Extreme Rules or at least SummerSlam, and we can move on to other things, but... Again, we'll see. At least Raw as a whole was a little bit different, and it made me interested to see where they're going to go with that. We'll see what happens with SmackDown, and again, we'll see how these things develop as hopefully Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff are able to control and have something just different created. they got to do something. Ratings are still not good. They're not where Fox and USA are wanting them to be when these new TV deals kick in, so we'll see where this all shapes up. Of course, you can hear all about that daily on my Modern Day Gladiator updates throughout you know the week as I give them. And of course, follow us everywhere on social media, Outlander Media. Outlandermedia.net is the website where you can hear all of the podcasts we got. I mentioned Haffle and DLC Respawn, Phantasm, Night Terrors, uh, Deadbeat Radio, everything we've got, you can listen to them all right there. And of course, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever, just search Modern Day Gladiators or any of the other great shows, check them out there. And wherever you listen, please, as always, like, subscribe, share, give us those five-star reviews. That's what matters most, and we would love you forever for every five-star review you give us. That's going to wrap up this week's episode of Modern Day Gladiators. It's been a good one. I love you guys. Too sweet. See you next week.